The verse 4 and the statement at the beginning of it is what I would like to use as my text this evening. It says, How then can man be justified with God? How can a fallen human being, fallen humanity, be declared not guilty before God? That's the question that is before us this evening in this meeting. How is it possible? How can the fallen humanity be justified before the Almighty, the All-Powerful, the All-Knowing, the All-Seeing Creator of the heavens and the earth and all that in them is? Because that's the word God in the original and the meaning that it has. He is the All-Powerful One the all-knowing one, the all-seeing one, the creator of the heavens and the earth and all that in them is. So when we consider this possibility, how is it to come about? How is he or she to be considered pure that is born of Adam and Eve? How is this possible? It says in the verse 5 that the very stars are not pure in his sight. The day we're living in, of course, the stars have taken on such a a relevance for so many, and they've been there for for years, of course, because the astrologers, men and women of varying talents and abilities, obsessed with what's going on with the movement of the stars. And, And you've read it over the years, suppose, just... Out of interest, you've looked up the paper and there it is, the star sign, and you look it up and all this information about how that movement in the heavens is going to affect your life and what you need to avoid or what you might be, well, going to gain a wee bit of favor in if you like, if you're, you're going to apply for a job perhaps. Or maybe it's time for you to seek a partner in life because of the way the heavens are arranged. Quite a load of nonsense and bunkum, of course, as we would know. But then, now in this modern age, there's many who poo-poo it. There's still those who mess with it and look to it. But we have the astronomer viewing out into deep space. And he's declaring that he's looking back right back to the beginning with this new telescope, this Hubble telescope in space, to the creation of our universe billions of billions of years ago. He's viewing these things at his display, so he tells us. But both alike are myths. One concerning the movement of the heavens and how it relates and the influence upon you and your family and your life. And the other one concerning the movement of particles within the atom and how that all bears upon 
what we now live in and live out every day. But it's a new mysticism. That's exactly what it is. Blinding society with fantastic declarations concerning the origin of our universe, our solar system, our planet, our sun, life on earth, all the rest of it. Just one big mythology. One big mythology. But I thank God that I was brought up with the revelation that God has given in his precious word. That revelation tells me very clearly in Genesis 1, verse 1, read at the very beginning of the book, that in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. I was born into a Christian home. Both my parents graciously saved, both coming from the darkness into the glorious light. Coming out of that alienation, which every, each and every one of us know from the life of God, and being born again, that second birth, that spiritual awakening, that coming alive unto God as you're born again of the Spirit. My mother, well, she was about 15 years of age. And she was a very religious lady, very religious young girl. Her grandfather was a bit of a drunkard, and she absolutely hated anything to do with alcohol, and she would have nothing to do with it, and she went to their church, the Church of Ireland, and there she was uh, christened, and she was confirmed, she was in the choir, and she was going through all the rituals of the church, but she testified to me that she had only ever once in the Church of Ireland in Barnbridge heard a man who came, a visiting preacher, who told her that she needed to be saved. He needed to be born again. The rest of the time she was unaware it was all a religion of works and all through the church and what was being carried out there. And I remember saying that she heard this man on Jingler's Bridge and Bond Bridge, the cut as you go through it, and there he's preaching. She's going up to do a message for her mum. And he tells her that it doesn't matter about her christening. It doesn't matter about her going through all the rituals of the church. None of those things will avail her. She needs to trust in Jesus Christ. She needs to be born again. And my mother comes home troubled to my grandmother. My grandmother doesn't know because she's not a saved woman. But eventually, as my mother, troubled in her soul, began to seek out the answer, she found people gloriously saved who pointed her to Jesus Christ. And through that, her sisters were saved. And through that, my grandmother was saved. And through that, eventually, my grandfather, 
who was a bit of a drunk was saved. Oh, do you realize tonight, my friend, that you're born in sin? Born in that fallen condition? Shaping by iniquity? It's not an effect on us all. Each and every one of us are all affected and have been infected by this corrupting influence. And how that horror show of what took place with Adam and Eve has played itself out over the years of time on this planet. Right across the globe, there are millions held in the darkness of Satan's sway. Just during the holiday season and up and in the housing estate where I used to live in Bonbridge, our sister Joyce Walsh was holding a series of children's meetings and I went up to give her a hand. And there, as we're singing the choruses with the boys and girls, we're going through all that teaching them the the glorious message of the Lord Jesus Christ, trying to get some light into these darkened young souls. I turn around and I look down behind me and there's two fellas coming up, walking up the path. And I know both these lads because both these lads had run around with me up in the housing estate. One's on a stick, a walking stick, the same age as myself. The other one, well, he's got a face like the presidents in Mount Rushmore, carved deep etches and with this life. Both of them drunkards, both of them drug takers, living up in that area, in an area which has been set aside by the housing executive for those type of characters and they get their money and they're out to see them every now and again to see the living's well. But these two lads are walking up the footpad. Boys that I'd played football with. Boys who I had knocked about the park with and built the bonfire with. Lads who would run about and messed about with. And I just, I wandered over and I stopped the two of them. I said to the foresman and the boys, called them by name and he looked at me. Through glazed eyes. He recognized me. He says, oh, I remember you. Phil Moore. The other boy, just blankly looking at me through eyes that are glazed for whatever reason. But I know of the two boys. Both men. Ruined. Ruined by sin. I thank the Lord. I thank the Lord that my mother was saved at 15 or 16 years of age. My father, who come from a a very difficult background as well, but was saved at 18. He went into the shoe factory and men there who, who knew the Lord brought him along to gospel meetings, encouraged him to come and spoke with them in their own homes, and my father was gloriously saved. And so it was that I was born into a home where Christ 
was the center. What a privilege. What an amazing privilege. I think of that fellow I was telling you about. He's on the walking stick. And his parents, I remember, they were heavy drinkers and both of them died of alcoholism. His brother ended up in what we called the moon unit because his head had went with the alcohol and drugs and things like that. His sister was the same. And now he's on a walking stick at 60 years of age, dandering around, just looking like an old man. And the other lad, he was the same. Just a drinker, heavy drinker. But my experience was being born into a home where Jesus Christ was known. My friends tonight, young people here tonight, don't be ever thinking that the world has something of, of, of great desire for you that there's something there that's going to make your life an enjoyable one. Because there's not. Oh, there may be things that you may enjoy, because whenever I took to alcohol at the beginning, I thoroughly enjoyed the fun and the laughter, as it were, and the, the banter among the lads that I run about with and all the rest of it. Ah, but it didn't end up that way, as you'll hear. Because once you get hooked, then you'll see the devil in his true colors because he will trample you into the gutter on every opportunity that he gets. Oh, yes, fallen humanity. Fallen humanity. How then can a man be justified with God? The ugliness of her character the uncleanness of our lives, the aversion to listen to his, his truth, all these things fighting against us in our unsaved, unfallen condition. But I praise the Lord that I was nurtured in the good news that Christ had died for the ungodly. Like Timothy, I had been taught the scriptures from my childhood which were able to make me wise unto salvation, showed me the way of my acceptance with God. And may I make reference that to one of those fellows that I met? He went two different girls who I could bring you to meet. Two different girls were his girlfriends. Both of them got saved different times. One was the first one. She got saved, left him behind, said, you need to get saved. You need the Lord. I found the Lord. Come out. But he wasn't interested. Off on the drink. Took up with another girl, blah, blah, blah. She got saved. She said exactly the same thing. Says, you need to come away from this life. It's destroying you. It was destroying us. But, but, off he went. That was 30 odd years ago. Both those girls are going on with the Lord, serving the Lord, doing vital work for the Lord. And there's him dandering around in a daze with his trousers hanging down, well, ripped, torn, old T-shirts, glazed eyes, 
just living for alcohol and perhaps drugs. Life completely destroyed. Oh, I just glorify the Lord Jesus Christ tonight that he has indeed taken me out of nature's darkness into his glorious light. Mom and Dad went along to the Clare Orange Hall, which was the beginning of the Lurgan Free Presbyterian Church. When they separated, they come out, and this church was formed back in 1951 when the big man was preaching the gospel and preaching it in all its authority and all its power, and men and women were being saved, and then the decision to come out from the Presbyterian Church and to start the Free Presbyterian Church. And this was one of the little feeder works. And I remember going along there as a child to hear the Word of God. And then down into George Street, which was the Lurgan Free Presbyterian Church, hearing the gospel preached. Right on to open hours, and my father would have been out with his mates, and they would have been preaching the gospel. They'd done it in Lurgan, done it in Portadown, in Bonbridge, and down in Urie. He used to go across the border, but I never went into any of those riskier areas because I was only a young boy. But my father there with his mates, and they were preaching. And as I was in these situations, and on the open hours, there was a verse, Romans 10 and 13 that kept being preached. For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. That verse was etched on my heart and on my mind and on my soul. And it was at the age of eight years of age that I had a dream that I was on my way to hell and that Satan was waiting for me. As I awoke from that dream, troubled in the darkness in my room, as you can imagine, and I cried out for my mother to come in. The mother came in, and she asked, what's the problem? And I remember saying to her, Mommy, well, I don't remember saying, but this is what I said to her. I, I, I don't want to go to hell. I want to be saved. And there my mother knelt me by my bedside, and I prayed that simple little sinner's prayer, asking the Lord to come into my heart. Come into my heart, Lord Jesus. Come in today. Come in to stay. Come into my heart, Lord Jesus. And what a joy it was to know my salvation. No matter how good your works may be, they will not close the gap that is opened by the fall. They will not justify you before a holy God. How can I be justified? How can I be received by God? And the answer comes clear and plain. It is through Christ's perfection and his perfection and work alone. That's it. There is no other way. It's the way of the cross that leads home. 
It's cleansing through the blood of the Lamb. It's you coming to the Lord Jesus Christ, owning your guilt, asking for pardon, and receiving that gracious gift from the hand of God. That's the way of salvation, my friend. That's it. And I rejoiced in my salvation as a young man and went in to my class in this Abercorn school in, in Bonbridge and there I would have, there was a teacher and she used to get me up to sing the choruses that I had learned and to, well, speak to the boys and girls, if you like, and give a wee, a wee thing about the Lord. We talk about the Lord. She gave me an opportunity to talk to the boys and girls, this saved woman. She was delighting in it. And she gave me the opportunity. And I was so glad to be able to do this. And then going out, as I say, onto the open airs and into these, the tin huts that we used to meet in in, all, in those days up in the Lake of Ardara and places like that. There were great gospel missions and great gospel times. I loved the word of God. But sad to say, whenever I went to the high school, the first year wasn't too bad, but I went into sort of the second year and into the third year. Then I began to really wobble and, and drift because the boys that I had in my class, well, there were a lot of ungodly fellas, but I liked a bit of crack and I liked the humor. And when it was all going on then, I liked to get involved in it and that sort of just drew you away. You were doing things then that you shouldn't have been doing and getting into bother and all the rest of it. And so that link with the Lord was being loosened. And I love football. So to say it became more important to me than what the Lord Jesus Christ was. Playing for the local youth club team Tuesday and Thursday night training, Saturday playing football. Any chance I got to kick a ball, that's what I was out doing. And then of course the Lord was pushed into the background. Sad to say as I went through my years in, it just drifted away. And I remember Brian Bickerstaff, and he was the Sunday school superintendent, and I remember him saying to me, Philip, what's wrong? You're not singing the choruses the way you used to sing them. Because he could see the difference. As I was coming up into 14 years of age and up to 15, and then, of course, the slide was really on. And really, because the lads were coming to me, and they were going to the discos, and they were telling me about the crack they were having. And then they were, somebody was buying them some alcohol. And they were having a bit of drink and a bit of fun and a bit of a laugh. And I thought I was missing out. And so I began to slip out to go to with them down along the river bank. And down to the old, it was an old disused chicken factory we used to use. And there we used to get bottles of cider and cans of beer. And go and sit around and drink and have a laugh. And then try to get into because you were underage into some of the discos in the town, and most times you get told to clear off, but sometimes you not. Know, oh, come on ahead on in or whatever. That raised all sorts of issues for me with my mother. My mother, father was a man who had had, would have drank. My mother had never touched it. And of course, with the problems with my grandfather, she was absolutely devastated that her son would put the filthy liquor to his lips 
As I had sat in the house many night on a Friday night, waiting for my grandfather to come home while my mother was there, with my grandmother to ensure that when he came through and staggered through the back door with a cap on the back of his head, maybe with a bag of fish and chips under his arm, dottering about the place, that he got up to bed safely. Yes, my mother just couldn't understand. How can you go down that road? After all, you've seen and seen the misery that it's brought. But my heart was set upon, well, it's me. Me enjoying myself. My friends, tonight, beware. Because once the chain is on, then I became a drunkard myself. I took myself off to the military. I joined the parachute regiment. And I went off. This, the boys laughed. Because I come, as you know, from a Christian home, a good home. Some of them come from hard homes. And some of them were getting thumped about. I was coming from a respectful home. And everything was quite, well, they thought, they said, your housemate, you, you know, you, you never stick it. You never stick it in there. They will break you. Because they knew how easy my life was. Mother done everything for me. I came home from the, the, the football and threw the kit in through the door, out the back door, and mother washed it and cleaned my boots even, think I was that lazy. And it was all sitting ready for me the next time. And they're saying, what? I just couldn't believe this. And I went off to the military. My mother pleaded with me to not do this. But you see, whenever I made up my mind, no, I'm going. It's the parachute regiment for me. She said, Philip, he says, I've done everything I can to dissuade you. I've done everything I can. I've prayed about this. I says, you're now. I says, I've committed you into that. This is the way she put it. She says, I've put you in the hands of the Lord. I've told the Lord I can do no more. I've prayed about this. And I've told him, I don't want you to go. I don't want you to get involved in that lifestyle. I says, but I can't do it. You've decided. I says, you're going to, says, you've made your bed and you'll have to lie in it. She was a wise woman. And she says, I'm now committed into the hands of the Lord. It's his job to look after and his job to deal with you in your sinfulness. She didn't cut any corners, my mother. She let you know exactly how she felt about the thing. And off I went. I wasn't there too long until I began, the penny began to drop. Because here I was in amongst these hardened men running about with a weapon above my head all the rest of it going through all the punishment training because you'd done something wrong that day running about with telegraph poles of your mates on your shoulder running through the gutters crawling through the gutters then having it all ready the next morning to be inspected because it wasn't good enough back out that night again in through the gutters again in the gym out of the gym battle marches out over the assault course, back in again, swimming across the filthy canal, back and forward, kit ruined, blah, 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 back next morning. Just go, 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 go. Five o'clock in the morning, I'm lying there. I can hear the boots 
as they're running up the stairs shouting and screaming, get up, you lazy, filthy dogs. Thinking to myself, oh no, what have I done? What have I done? But see, I'd got this image in my head of what it was to be a paratrooper, but let me tell you, it was a completely different game altogether whenever I got there. Yes. And I went through years in the regiment. I'd signed for six years. And when I went, and I finally came through and come out of my training and went, I went and first posting was to a place called Belize. It was jungle training. Six months. I remember going out in the heat and being dropped out, of course, by helicopter, dropped down into the jungle and off you went carrying all the equipment with you. And it was just, well, it was an experience. Let's put it that way. An experience. But it was all hard work. All hard work. And I had this like glamorized idea of what it was. I don't know what my, were my things. It just shows you how the devil does blind the mind. My idea was completely different than what this was. And here I was now running about in the jungle with these men learning how jungle warfare would work, learning to live in the jungle, learning to live off the land and all the rest of it, and going through all the difficulties that come with such things. But even with that, the Lord was teaching me lessons time and time again. Remember, at one stage, we're camped out in the jungle. There we were, four of us. The big boy Taft Jones was the patrol commander, big man, but six foot two. Jim Tun, Scottish fella, he's about six foot one. Me at five foot eight, the butt, and another boy carrying the machine gun. And we are there, we've made our breakfast that morning, we've slept overnight in the hammocks and all the rest of it. We got up in the morning, and all of a sudden, as we're eating the breakfast, the jungle begins to come alive. And there are monkeys coming through the trees, squawking and roaring. There are birds flying squawking and there are things going through the bush round the back and behind us and you wonder what on earth is going on here what is going on very soon it becomes apparent soldier ants would you believe it an army of soldier ants there they are coming through devouring anything on the ground any little creatures insects and things that weren't able to get away they were piling onto it, devouring it. And guess what? We had to move. So here we are, highly trained, respected members of the parachute regiment, not afraid of anything that's going to come your way and all that. And here's this little creature, one of God's little creatures, about this size, a little black ant. And we're having Bergen on, machine gun, grenade launcher, all the rest of it on your back. And we're, get out of this place. Oh, my friends, tonight, it makes you realize how small you really are. 
In verse 6 of chapter 25, we're told that man is a worm. And that's just exactly in your unsaved condition. That's exactly what we are. Crawling around, slithering around in the dark, living in decaying vegetation and all the rest of it. That's exactly the life of the ungodly in the eyes of the Lord. Remember that the Lord Jesus told about hell. It's a place in Mark chapter 9 where the fire is not quenched and their worm dieth not. Their miserable existence never ends. My friend tonight, you can be justified before God through the blood, the blood sacrifice of the Lord Jesus Christ and through that and that alone. Don't you be trying to make yourself acceptable to God because you can't do it. You can't do it. Oh, you may say, well, I'm not a drunkard. I've never taken drugs. I've never been involved in the things that you're talking about. Like those two fellas. They need to be saved. Oh, but not me. God can surely accept me. I'm good. I'm a good person. Used to get that all the time in the workplace. No, no, no. I I don't need to be saved, Phil. I'm a good person. I've looked after my family. I've looked after my mother and father. No, no, no. Them other boys, yeah, yeah, them, yeah. Them bunch of hollands, yeah. But me, no. Got this idea that somehow they were acceptable before God. The Holy God. The Holy One. The Almighty. The All-Powerful. The All-Knowing. The All-Seeing. He knows your thoughts, my friend. He knows each and every one of them. Don't be trying to tell me now that your thoughts have been pure. That there's never been one outside the commandments of God. Because I would have to say that that's a lie. Oh, my friends, tonight... Will you not come? Sinner. Unsaved. Will you not come and trust in this glorious Savior? I can tell you that my life in those days as a young man in the parachute regiment was a misery. That's what it became. I became a, just every opportunity I got, I was in the bar lobbing it down my throat. Because I couldn't get on with a lot of the boys who were over me. And it was ending up brawls and fights. A foul-mouthed young man. And when I did put in to buy myself out, signed for six years, I'd done three and a half. I remember saying, I've had enough of it now, I want out. And I went, you're supposed to be able to buy yourself out then. After three years. I said, uh-uh, you're staying. I remember my company commander 
and he had taken my request form and he just ripped it up and he threw it in the bin. He says, you're going nowhere. You're going nowhere. That's what I was told. I said, right. Glad you think it. I packed my bags and cleared off. Cleared off to Israel. You think to yourself, Russell, bit of a bit of a jaunt, wasn't it? I knew there were kibbutzes there. I knew places, places you could go and you could work and, and, and do yourself a, you know, make a, make a living, if you like, away from the grip and the grasp of the military. Because if you ever went home and get picked up, you could go to London or somewhere like that there. But I had this idea. But Israel, I'd like to go and visit Israel. So off I went. Got a job on a farm. Got a job down in the Red Sea. Pulling in nets, fishing for tuna. But I remember being there. There I am in a bar. On the Red Sea. With a lot of people from around the world. Different ones from the United States, Canada, and New Zealand, and Australia, and Argentina, and Brazil, and Swedes, and Austrians, and, and, and these people had traveled and went here and there. And this fellow from South Africa who was with her, he stood up after he'd had a few drinks, and he said, can anybody tell me what is the meaning of life? And I thought, oh. Hear, hear. We'll hear what these people have to say. And I listened. And I learned that night that all those people were traveling looking for answers. Some of them had been in Buddhist retreats out in Burma and out in Thailand. Some of them had been to Hinduism and went into there and studied it. In, 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 in India, in places like Karachi, looking for answers. They were sick, especially the Western ones, sick of the Western world and its, as we see today, about, oh, they're wasting everything, they're destroying the planet. That's the way they were then. I'm thinking, there's got to be something more to life than this. And as I listened to their, what I call it, well, their version of what they thought life was all about. I realized the value of my upbringing. Because I knew as I sat there saying absolutely nothing with a drink in my hand, I knew that about 200 miles north of where we were sitting, outside the city of Jerusalem, the Lord Jesus Christ had been crucified and had died because of my sin. He died to set me free. I wonder tonight, do you realize that? That he died that you might live, that he has died that you might be saved, that he's died that you might be rescued, that you might be justified. That's the only way. And there is no other way. And I was coming out of the bus station one day, out of, in a lot, and this fella came towards me, and all around his people, moving all around, and he's coming, he's got long hair, he's got flowers in his hair, he's got a guitar around his neck, and he's got sandals on his feet, just looked like a real hippie. And he comes, now he's not saying anything to anyone else, but he comes through the crowd, and I'm walking, and he looks at me, and he says, Jesus is coming again and he walked on 
And I turned round to look at him as he's going into the door at the bus station and he says, he is, you know. Now I don't know if that man was a saved man, just a bit misguided in the way he was dressed or whatever the case may be, I don't know. Or whether he was like Balaam's ass, the donkey, rebuking the madness of the prophet. I don't know, but those are the words that he said to me. Was it an answer to the prayers of the people in Barnbridge Church, my mother and, and the, the ladies there that, that, that remembered me and always kept remembering me and kept sending messages to my mother, tell Philip we're remembering him in prayer and me saying over the phone, oh, thanks very much, Mom, that's, that's great. And those ladies were holding on to the ropes, praying for me whenever I was trying to cut loose. Oh, my friends, tonight... How gracious the Lord has been to you. How gracious the Lord has been to me. I'm not worthy to be standing in this pulpit tonight. I'm not worthy to stand before anybody. But I come because of what the Lord Jesus Christ has done. In the blood of Jesus Christ, God's Son, cleanseth us from all sin. Tonight can I encourage you to come and put your faith and trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. See, I came to a position, a position after all my drinking and running about when I got out of the army and I went to military prison and I came out of that and come home and I tried to connect with my old friends back here and tried to fire up a bit of that old drinking relationship again or whatever and their lives, well, their, some of their marriages were falling apart, things weren't good with them and they weren't much fun to be with at times and all the rest of it and some of the wives thought, well, I don't want you hanging around with him because all he does is ever is drink and quite rightly so. And so, as I started then to realize that, well, I, there, was, there was something terribly wrong. I tried to give up alcohol. I found that a bit of a problem. But I was going out with a girl at that time. The two of us going out, Christmas of 1988. My mother buys me this Bible as a Christmas present. Me and that girl, shortly after the Christmas, I've got the Bible. We have an argument and we fall out. I come home. I pick up the Bible. And I say, Lord, if you're here in the room with me tonight, I want you to speak to me. And immediately, Isaiah 57 flashes into my mind. I think I thought that myself. But I pick up the Bible. I turn to the Bible and I read in the verses 20 and 21. But the wicked are like the troubled sea when it cannot rest, whose waters cast up mire and dirt. There is no peace, saith my God to the wicked. There it was. Bang! Whew. God's speaking clearly. And I was running to this, to that, to the other thing. And as I lay in my bed that night, thinking of my life, and my behavior, and God saying to me, you know, Philip, that, 
that lifestyle you're involved in, you can never attain peace or joy or happiness in that life. No. It's just the way of casting up more corruption and garbage and sin within your life and trouble. I knew that God had spoken, but I was troubled. I was troubled so much that I thought I'd committed the unpardonable sin. Because many times when I've been home on leave, Dad had brought me to gospel missions. Mum was always at me, come out to church, come out to church. I used to go and stay in my mate's house and get drunk and then ring her and say, oh no, I'll not be able to make it home tonight, blah, blah, blah. My mother had been disappointed just to avoid because I didn't want to go back because I knew I was going to hear the gospel message. I didn't want to hear it. But time and again, God spoke. Time and again, my father would have said, right, come, come to the mission. And they'd have got me out. I'd have went along to keep them quiet. God spoke time and again. But I thought I'd committed the unpardonable sin in my head. I thought, you know, I've rejected the Lord that many times. I'd heard about it, heard about God striving with me, and then me saying no once too often, and God saying my spirit will not strive with you anymore. But little, of course, I didn't understand. This was all God's spirit striving with me, convicting me about this all. It was Isaiah chapter 55 where I got the answer. I was in turmoil. Thought I was like the man in Bunyan's Pilgrim's Progress. The man whom the Spirit of God had left. There in the verses 6 and 7 I read, Seek ye the Lord while he may be found. And God's voice was, this was thundering into my head. God the Holy Ghost was speaking these words to me. Seek ye the Lord while he may be found. Call ye upon him while he is near. Let the wicked forsake his way and the unrighteous man his thoughts. Let him return unto the Lord, and he will have mercy upon him. And to our God, for he will abundantly pardon. And that night, by my bedside, with tears in my eyes, and repentance, and calling out unto the Lord, the Lord received me back again. Oh, what joy entered into my heart that night. Relief and release to be back. Oh, the Lord was shadowing me all the way. There's no doubt about that. His hand was upon me for good. His intentions towards me were good. But I was blacking them out all the time. Brought me back. Brought me into his banqueting house and his banner over me is love. And I thank the Lord that serving him is the greatest privilege and the greatest pleasure that I have ever known. And throughout my years of serving him in the Sunday school and when the youth work and coming back and forward, it has been joy unspeakable and full of glory. I recommend it to you young people. I recommend it to you highly. If you want joy, Real joy. 
wonderful joy. Let Jesus come into your heart. Come tonight. Make him your Lord. Make him your Savior. Let me tell you, it doesn't matter how black your sin is. The blood of Jesus Christ, God's Son, cleanseth us from all sin. May the Lord bless his word to your hearts this evening. That's bow our heads just in a short word of prayer, please. Heavenly Father, we thank thee for the opportunity to present the glorious gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. And I rejoice in those who have come this evening. We pray that if there are any who are not saved, Lord, we pray that they might indeed be wise. Even this evening, Lord, that you may bring them, bring them unto thyself. Lord, that you'll give them no rest and you'll give them no peace until they do come. And for each and every one of us, Lord, Lord, that we'll know household salvation and we'll know the joy of our, our loved ones brought to peace, to pardon through the precious blood of the Lamb. Bless us now, Lord. Take us to our homes in safety, for we ask these things in Jesus' most precious and holy name. Amen. Amen.